You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to John 17. Uh, John chapter 17. Uh, Powerful prayer, changing me, changing the world. Uh, We heard it in the uh, two testimonies this morning, um, Abigail's testimony and Vincent's testimony, and actually both of them made reference to a part of the scripture that we're going to look at today, and um, what a blessing to see people who um, want to identify with Christ in obedience, and uh, if you've never done that, um, you can. Uh, We'll fill up the tank as many times as it takes, and uh, so if you've never taken that step forward as a follower of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to, um, to get on that and uh, get on it right away. Well, last week we took a look at the topic of the mystery, the mystery of prayer. And as we began our series, Powerful Prayer, we were really talking about the, um, j- just the sense of the theology of prayer. What is it? What's it made of? And the why and the who and the how and the when and all of the rest of that. And uh, that's where we uh, launched out. We had an amazing prayer night here at the church on uh, Tuesday night. Um, Well, today we want to take a look at what I call the model prayer. It's what Jesus prayed for his disciples. Ultimately, it's what Jesus Christ was praying for us. And we'll see that in just a moment. But before we read John 17, it's, it's important that you understand the context of, of where it fits in. Where does it fit into the timeline of history? Where does it fit into the Bible? And, uh, and so it's the night Jesus Christ would be betrayed. Uh, Jesus has already washed the disciples' feet. They are breaking bread together and taking the cup. They're having what was the first communion, the only communion Jesus ever did uh, with his disciples. And the cool thing is he's going to do it again with us when we get to heaven. But it was the only communion he ever did with them. He's gone through and he's done some teaching with them, John 14, 15, and 16, some of the amazing passages in scripture. Um, I go to prepare a place for you. Uh, All of this is being taught to them right before Jesus will go to the cross. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Judas, he's on his way out. He has going out to betray the Lord. He's left the room. Then they leave and they go across um, out from the uh, upper room and they go across the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem and the discourse happens and Peter says, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. And then they go to the garden and um, Jesus goes on to pray and the disciples fall asleep and Jesus is crying out to the Father. Can this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And, and then the guards will come and the soldiers will come and Judas will betray Jesus Christ and he'll be taken away and the trials, the mock trials will happen. And, and then just hours later, his crucifixion, all of this is happening in the matter of a day. And right in the middle of it all, Jesus prays. See, that's why this prayer is so important for us to understand. It's right at the climax of all that Jesus Christ has come to do. He knows what's going to happen. He realizes that the sacrifice will be made. He understands that he was the sacrificial lamb. He was the one who could make the right and righteous payment. He knows it's all coming. And right in the middle of all of that, he stops 
to pray. And he prays for his disciples. And he prays for me. So you get your Bibles open to John 17. Let's stand together. I want to read to you this entire chapter, but it's a critical one, important that we hear it. So we honor God as we read his word. John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know the, in the truth that I came to you and that they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, for I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in you so that the whole world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Father, it's amazing to me that the night before Jesus Christ will go to the cross for me knowing what was coming, knowing what was going to happen, knowing it would be the fulfillment of all that you had set out. He prayed for me. He prayed for us. 
Lord, help us to see in this prayer the character of a holy God who loves us, the amazing love of Jesus Christ for us. And then, Lord, what were the things that he poured his heart out as it relates to me? And what are the things that we need to pour our hearts out as it relates to others as we pray? As we look at this model prayer, God, give us ears that we would hear and minds that we could understand. And then, Lord, a passion to live out for the fame of the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, as I said, it's just hours, so Jesus is to go to the cross. How and what did he pray? Two-point message today. You know what a two-point message means? It's probably longer than a three-point message, but that's just the way it is. All right, but here's the first thing you want to see. Firstly, Jesus is focused on the Father. Now, Jesus is focused on the Father. Now, the first verses of this are all about the glory and the working of God and the relationship with the Son. And we're quickly going to go through that this morning because we want to get to the part where he's actually praying for us. But we never want to lose sight of this because it's an area that probably we lack in our own, our, our own emphasis when we come to pray. And so he starts out with the glory in the first of five words. I've got that circled like five or six times in my Bible. It says in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And in verses 4 and 5, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is all about the glory. He's all about the focus and where it belongs. He's all about getting it right. And we try to do that at Harvest Bible Chapel. We try to make our church about the glory. So it's not about us. It's not about the leaders. It's not about the worship. It's, it's not about what God has given us here. Uh, we use all of those things are used, but the purpose is God's glory. Our purpose statement says to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. Everything we do is to bring glory to God. At least that's the goal. Now, we get in the way of that goal sometimes, our own pride, our own arrogance, our own who we think we are. But, but the ultimate goal is to bring glory to God. On uh, Tuesday night, I already mentioned, we had a, uh, a prayer night at the church. We had a great night here on Tuesday night. If you missed it, you missed a great time. But the first part of that prayer night, I asked five people, including myself, but five people to pray. And they were to pray about God and his character um, in praise and adoration and thanksgiving. They weren't allowed to ask for anything. They weren't allowed to confess anything. As a matter of fact, one of them, I said, if you start asking God for stuff, I'm going to come up and kick you. Because um, I just knew once he got on the roll, he would get past that and, and get, and he was really good about it. Because we wanted the focus to be on who God is and what he has done. And in the first part of the prayer, Jesus is all about that. The glory that's shared between him and the father. And so here's the question for you. Here's the question for me, follower of Jesus Christ. In your prayers last week, how much time did you spend in your prayers with your focus on the glory of God? Or did your prayers start out with, Heavenly Father, help. Now, lots of times we need those prayers. And there's nothing wrong with praying and asking for things. 
But we always need to understand that, that prayer needs to be founded and understood in the character of who God is and what he has done for us. And Lord, help me to see that more. Help me to make that a priority that as I come before you in prayer, I stop and I remember who you are and what you've done for us. I see you as the creator of all of the earth and what you have made for us. I see you as the one who is the giver of life. My, my next heartbeat comes because, God, you give that to me. I give you glory because Jesus Christ died on a cross so I could have eternal life. And I get my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. I get my eyes fixed on the Father for, for who they are and what they have done. See, Jesus was about that. It was all about the glory. When I put my focus where it belongs... On the Godhead, he gets the glory. And when I pray right, that's what it does. Praying right puts my focus where it belongs, on God. But praying right ensures that the focus isn't where it doesn't belong. So often the focus of our lives is on who we are and what we've accomplished and what we think we've attained and all of the rest of it and... Hey, when you get on your knees before God and you cry out to him, understanding all that he has done, look at the blessings we have all poured out on us and it can all be gone. It can all be gone. It comes from God. And we rejoice in that and we're thankful for it. I hear reports coming out of Nepal, out of our churches in Nepal, and they've lost it all. Churches have been destroyed. Homes have been destroyed. Some of the people in our churches have died and they're glorifying God. They have the focus in the right place. How do you do that? Well, you do that when you understand it's all his and he has blessed us with so much and we get the focus into the right place. God help us because we tend to be consumers of God. And Lord, now I need you to do this and I need you to do this and I need you to do this and I need you to do that. And by the way, would you please forgive me for the things I've done and we lose the glory. Jesus had a focus on the Father that began with the glory. I'll tell you another thing that focusing on the glory does, it guarantees humility. It guarantees humility because you come to a place that he must increase, I must decrease. So that's the first thing. Jesus was about the glory as he had a focus on the Father. Here's, here's another thing. He was focused on the gift. Uh, look at verse, uh, verses 2 and 3. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now we're going to come to salvation and what that means, but the gift, Jesus, whom you have sent. Jesus understood why he was here. He understood the price that he would pay. He understood all that was coming, but he was a gift. John 4, 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Uh, Jesus Christ is the most amazing gift that was ever given to us. And through him, eternal life. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You can't separate the gift of Jesus Christ and the gift of eternal life because that's why Jesus Christ came. But he was the gift. Focus on the glory and a focus on the gift. How about this? A, a focus on the goal. Verse 4. 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. A, co- a focus on the globe, on, on the goal. I wrote this down. Jesus, with divine confidence and assurance, sees the work on the cross as already finished. He understands what's going to happen. He knows what's happening in the next 12 and 24 hours and then through to his resurrection and then going to be with the Father and and sitting on the right hand of God, making intercession for us. He understands the goal's already been fulfilled. It's being accomplished and it's done. I've accomplished the work. Well, what is the work? Ultimately, the work was the gospel. Uh, that's the, uh, the next G was the gospel. He says in verses two and three again, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Uh, down to verse eight. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. And this is eternal life, that they would know you. Eternal life is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. To know him is life eternal. And the million dollar question, the elephant in the room today is, do you know him? Do you know God? Not do you know about him. The Bible says you believe there is one God, you do well. Uh, So does the devil and he trembles. It's not about knowing about God. It's knowing him. Understanding what he did for you. Understanding the reality that as people, we turned our back on God in the garden, Adam and Eve, and walked down our own path. And God, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, made a way of reconciliation for our relationship to be right with him. And in this teaching that Jesus is doing right before the prayer is where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Do you know him? Do you know the Father? It happens through the finished work of Jesus Christ. It happens through what he is about to accomplish on the cross when he is the right and righteous and only payment that could take away, could cover, could pay for your sin. And yet we live in our world and even sometimes as Christians we think we have to try harder and we have to do more. Not to get saved you don't. Jesus did all of the work for that. There was nothing you could do. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. Christ did it all, and he offers to us the gift. He gives to us the gift, and all we can do is receive the gift. And receiving the gift in Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with the Father. Vincent talked a little bit about that in his testimony and just the reality of knowing it all, but not having the relationship. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, hear this. It's not about trying harder. It's not about being better. It's about coming under the finished work of Jesus Christ. You accept the fact that you're a sinner separated from God and you can't fix it. 
You believe in your heart that Jesus Christ came. He died for you. You confess with your mouth that he is your Lord and you are saved. It can't be that easy. That's all there is to it. Until you come to the place, it's not about you at all. And it's all about Jesus Christ. You can't be saved. You can't be in a relationship with God. But when you do, you're called a son of God, a child of God. And so Jesus in his prayer is about the glory and about the gift and about the goal and about the gospel. Here's a cool verse, uh, down to verse 10. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Can I just say, dear one, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and the lies that are put in your head are, well, no, no, you're not saved. You're not good enough. You haven't done enough. You're, you're not going to make it. You're going to, remember, it's not about you. It's all about what Jesus Christ did. And this verse is a great verse about assurance and God's keeping power for the children of God. All mine are yours and yours are mine. I am so blessed that my ability to stay saved is not blessed based on my ability to stay saved. My ability to be in Christ is his. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the shepherd of the sheepfold. He is the keeper. And my great hope is in all that Jesus Christ has done. And between the God the Father working and God the Son working, I am sealed, I am protected, I am his child, and that never changes. And if you don't have assurance of your salvation today, it's either because you're not saved and you've never trusted Christ, or there's another group of people who lose their assurance. You lose your assurance when you become about yourself. You lose your assurance when sin starts to dominate your life. It doesn't mean you're not saved anymore. Once you're saved, God takes care of you. There isn't anybody that's falling out of God's grace and his relationship. But when we're not demonstrating fruit, when we're not living for God, there can be lots of doubting that happens. And you want to get that taken care of, you take care of it by moving back into righteousness and moving back into walking with the Lord and being faithful. We're going to see that as we see some of the things Jesus prayed. How do you know you're saved? Well, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can go back and go as they did in their testimonies. I know what happened before I was saved. I, I, I got saved and I can see God working now. And so you go back to that day. This is what the Lord did. You drove the nail into the ground, the stake in the ground on that day. You can always go back to that. And the other way, you know, is by fruit. The fruit that's in your life, the fruit of repentance, the fruit of the spirit, the, all of those things are demonstrators that you are in Christ. And you go, well, yeah, but if you only knew how messed up I am, if you only knew how messed up I am. But we come in confession. Well, why do we come in confession? Because there's conviction. Why is there conviction? Because you're a child of God. And so there's this great verse of hope for us. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Well, the first thing is Jesus is focused on the Father. The second point is uh, Jesus is focused on his followers. Jesus is focused on his followers. And so if you're a bit of a skeptic, you could say, well, yeah, but he's talking about the disciples. He's talking about the people in the room. You keep saying this verse is for us. These verses are for us. And so can you prove that? 
Pastor, can you prove that? Well, you know me by now. I'm not going to say it if I can't prove it. And the proof is found down in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This wasn't just for the disciples. This just wasn't for them for the next two or three weeks in their life. This is for them and for everyone who will believe in Jesus Christ through their words. That's us, people. That's us. And so the next things we're going to see are the things that are about what Jesus Christ is going to pray for us. And ultimately, then, what we need to be praying for each other. Just as he prayed for us, we'll pray these things for each other. Before we get to those four things, there's some a word that appears 18 times in the English Standard Version. It's the word world. Now, there's nowhere in your notes for this, so you'll take a scrap of paper or write it down underneath the, uh, the so what part. But the world, that word, that word appears 18 times. And so something that appears that much time, you can't just ignore it, although that's not the purpose of this message. I want to take a couple minutes and just talk about it. Um, in verses 11 and verse 15, he says, I'm just going to pick a few illustrations, but I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Down to verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. Uh, Vincent said a line in his uh, testimony. I, I didn't write it. I didn't even talk to him about it. I didn't even know he was going to say it, but it's exactly the point. He said this, I let fitting in be my moral compass. I let fitting in be my moral compass. You see, we are to live in the world, but the world's not supposed to live in us. And the thing that he wrestled with was, yeah, I'm living in the world and the world is in me and I'm allowing it to be what directs my life. And so we wrestle with this every day in our society because the world is there. And Jesus said, I'm not taking them out of the world. We have to live in this world. We live in this world. The question is, is the world controlling us? Uh, we need to go out of this room and get back out there into the world. We're not supposed to build monasteries and live in them until Jesus comes back. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to live in the world, but we're not to allow the world to rule and rule over us. It's not our moral compass. God and his word and the working of Jesus Christ, that's our moral compass. That's what directs us. That's what moves us forward. So what are the examples in your life in the last 24, 36 hours where the world is in you. Because Jesus says, I'm not taking them out of the world. There's some things he's going to pray for us in this world, but he's not going to take us out of the world. One day he will. One day we will live with him. But until then, look at verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I am not of the world. One of the results of being in Jesus Christ is you're going to be taken off a lot of people's Christmas card list. You're not going to be invited to things. And in parts of our world today, people are giving up their lives, are being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to be hated. Um, 
three or four weeks ago, I had uh, lunch with uh, Pastor Ian out in uh, Durham. And uh, we were sitting in the restaurant, and there was uh, one of the guys on his staff in his church talking to a man who was coming to their church, just started coming. And, and so Ian was telling me the story of this guy. And, and the guy who's on staff now, he got saved a number of years ago. Uh, he and this guy were working in a golf course together. And after he trusted Christ, he told him his story of his conversion. He went through the whole thing with him. And, and the guy said something like, that's fine for you. Don't you ever talk to me about it again. Why? Because he hated the message. He didn't want to hear the message. And now God's doing a work in his life. And as of that day, uh, that man hadn't trusted Christ. Far as we know, he hadn't trusted Christ. But he's on a journey now and he's sitting down with a man who he said, don't you ever talk to me about Jesus Christ again. And they're talking about Jesus Christ. Because that's what God does in the process of bringing someone to himself. But we need to understand if we're going to stand for Jesus Christ, there are lots of people who aren't going to like it. Now, it doesn't give us the right to be obnoxious, right? That happens too often. You're just being an idiot. We're not talking about that. We're talking about being faithful to the gospel, faithful to the word, faithful to what God has taught us. And people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Before we're, before we're saved, we're enemies of God. We don't want what God offers. We want what we want. But in Christ, we understand that's just a little blip that happens for now. And eternity is coming. And we want what will bring God the glory. The world doesn't want to hear that. And Jesus is saying, I'm not taking them out of the world, Lord. You're going to have to, God, you're going to have to help them. You're going to have to watch over them. You're going to have to sustain them. The Bible says, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. In the world, but the world is not our identity. Well, Jesus prays, I've broken it down, four things for them. But not just for them, he prays it for you and me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he says, I'm not praying for those who are in the world. I'm, I, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those who you've given me. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you're part of the, those you have given me. So he prays four things. Here's the first thing he prays. He prays that God will keep them. Prays for God's keeping. In verses 11 to 13, here's what it says. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Excuse me, I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. He prays that, that God will keep them. Uh, for the last three and a half years, as the story unfolds here, Jesus has been with these guys every day and pouring into them and watching over them and guarding them and protecting them and helping them. And, but he's about to leave. He's about to be hung on a cross. He's about to be buried. And then like 40 days later, he's about to ascend and go to heaven. He's not going to physically be there anymore. And so he says, God, you need to keep them. God, you're going to have to keep them. And God, in giving us the Holy Spirit, gives us the power and the strength and the ability to be kept. But God is in charge of keeping us. What a great thought that Jesus is in heaven today praying for you that God, that he would keep you. If God doesn't keep me, I'm a mess before we get to dinner tonight. God, keep them. Keep them in the world, 
in the circumstances we live in, in the trying times we have, in all that we have around us, Lord, you keep them. And then he also talks about a joy that comes in all of this need for keeping in verse 13, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The things that Christ was accomplishing, the work that he was doing, that we would have that same kind of joy as God allows us to see and hear testimonies of people who are saved and, and getting baptized. And we have the joy of that as we see each other growing up in Christ and spurring each other on to love and good deeds. And we have the joy of that when we pray for our children or our grandchildren or our future spouse and we see them come to Christ and all of those things and the joy that we have. God, keep them. Keep them. Second thing he prays is that God will sanctify them. In verses 17 and 19, he says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And for their sake, I consecrate you, verse 19. I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The word sanctified means to be set apart. It means to, to be made holy. Now there's a part of sanctification. It's a progressive part of our lives where we grow up in Jesus Christ. And we have a responsibility to walk and be discipled and to obey God's word. There's a part of sanctification that is our part. Now, you've heard me say it before. I call it failing forward or falling forward. We would love to think our walk with Jesus Christ starts when we accept him, we accept the finished work, and it's just a beautiful, smooth ride right to heaven. But it's not like that because we get in the way and the circumstances get in the way. And, and the line that we love was like this is really more like this. But it's moving forward and it's progressing forward and we have a responsibility in our sanctification. But here's the amazing part for us. So does God. He has a big part in our sanctification. And so as you're thinking about your salvation, your sanctification and praying about your sanctification, you need to be praying to God to help you with it. The Bible says in this text, sanctify them in truth. God, you do that work. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Do you want to know how you get sanctified? As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not saved, you don't need to worry about this part. You need to come to Jesus Christ first because otherwise you'll start thinking this is the part that saves you. This has nothing to do with your salvation. Our salvation is finished in the work of Christ. This is all about our walk with Christ. We're sanctified through the truth. We're sanctified through the truth. Uh, people who just show up on a Sunday at 11 and they listen to me for 42 minutes like man he just kicked me in the head again he just kicked me in the head again every time I come here the guy just kicks me in the head um, well that's not my goal it's not my heart it's not my passion my desire is that we be sanctified in the truth but if you only open the truth on Sunday morning that's the only time you're really hearing what God has to say we need to be in his word it's sanctified through the word through the finished work of Jesus Christ, he is the word. Jesus Christ is called the word, but he's given us everything we need for holiness, for a holy living. The dynamic between sanctification and truth, the word of God needs to be read. It needs to be heard. It needs to be understood. It needs to be applied. 
That's when we're sanctified. That's when we're growing up. And that's a working that God does in conjunction with us as we walk forward in our faith. And so Jesus, as he's praying to the Father, Father, they're going to be in the world. We're not taking them out of the world. That's part of the journey. Lord, you keep them. You keep them. And Lord, you grow them up. You make them holy through your word because your word is truth. And verse 18 says, right in between those other two verses, says, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. So right in the middle of the process of sanctification in verses 17 and 19, says that it's going to happen through service. It's going to happen as we serve. It's going to happen as we get engaged in what God has called us to do. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And then he talks about unity. Verses 20 to uh, 23, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So thankful that I'm included in Jesus' prayer in John 17. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one. Excuse me. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity in the body of Jesus Christ. Unity as followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Why? So that the world may know that you have sent me. I don't understand why God chose us to be the ambassadors for the gospel to be proclaimed. I don't know why he did it that way. But he did it that way. We are the messengers of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who have the word of God. We are the ones who will proclaim, like I'm doing now publicly, but what we do with each other in our lives, in the workplace, in our schools, in our homes, in our neighborhood, uh, we're called to be his ambassadors. I don't know why God chose to do it that way. I just know that he did choose to do it that way. And so we come under it and we live in it. But why? Why? So that the world will know who Jesus Christ is. And there needs to be unity in us about that so that the world will know. And so he's calling them to that. He's asking God that they would have a unity for the sake of the gospel, for the furtherance of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we find ourselves bickering about crazy things that don't even matter, and we lose sight of who Jesus Christ is and what the word of God is and what the gospel is, then shame on us. God, give me a passion for people who don't know Jesus and get hooked up with people who have the same passion that Jesus Christ would be lifted up, that he would be exalted, that the world would know who Jesus is. Unity to further the gospel. Unity for the sake of the church. In Ephesians 5, it talks about the bride and the groom and, and Jesus Christ is the groom and the church is the bride and Every marriage in our church is a picture of the relationship of Christ and the church. But it's supposed to be a picture of unity. It's a picture of unity. Not uniformity. We don't all walk exactly the same way. We don't all wear the same clothes. We all don't march the same. We don't all like the same music. That, that's uniformity. We're never called to uniformity. We're called to unity. 
You know, I'm so thankful for the elders of our church and the unity that God has given us. We go through some things. We wrestle through some things. We, we have some heated debate sometimes. But an elder's never come across the table and jerseyed another elder, elder in the middle of the battle. Yeah, we have the debate. We have the struggle. And every time, every time, God is bringing us to unity. Why? Well, because we're willing to submit. We're willing to come under. We're willing to humble ourselves. We're willing to. doesn't mean we won't have struggles in the future. It doesn't mean we won't have hard times. But that's what God's doing in his church. And he calls his followers to unity. But he prays for us that we would have that. Because we serve as his ambassadors. But, you know, ultimately, that the gospel would happen. But really, that God would be glorified. That's why we want the unity. So it's not about me. It's not about, all. Oh, I think you hurt my feelings. And so I'm going to hold that over your head for the rest of your life. Hey, how about letting things go for the glory of God? How about that? So that Jesus Christ is exalted. So somebody doesn't point at you and you and go, why can't you guys just get along? If you two guys are pictures of Jesus Christ, then stop talking to me about Jesus Christ. I pick on them because I know they love each other a lot. And, uh, but that happens in the body of Christ. And the name of Jesus Christ is put down and hurt and devastated, sometimes because of us. Let the offense be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let people deal with that. God, help us to never get in the way of what you want to do, because my agenda is more important. Unity. The last thing that um, he prays for them is, um, I put glorifying down, is for the glory. It's, it's really, um, Jesus is um, talking about that they're going to come and be with me in heaven. God, I'm praying for them so that one day they will come and be with me in heaven. Uh, John chapter 17 and in the last verses, but in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And Jesus prays that I will be with him in heaven. And Jesus prays for you that you will be with him in heaven. Not because you can lose another. He's just looking forward to the day that we're going to be with him in heaven. And he prays for us for that. And he's praying for us right now for that. Jesus is in heaven praying for the day that we're going to go and be with him. And we're going to have communion with him again in heaven. He's praying for that. He's looking forward to that. And what an awesome thought that, that the Lord Jesus Christ intercedes on my behalf, looking forward to the day when this sinner saved by God's grace will be with him in heaven, worshiping him because of all that he has done and all that he has accomplished. What an amazing hope. What an amazing thought. What an amazing truth that Jesus would be thinking about that for us just a matter of hours before he's going to the cross for us. Well, so what? So what? He's about to go to the cross. And he prays with an amazing focus on the Father for the glory and ultimately for the gospel, the finished work. And then he prays four things for me. God, keep that guy. God, sanctify that guy. God, bring him in unity with the people he serves with. And then God, bring him to myself. In your bulletin, as you came in, there was a card. And it said, for the next two weeks, I will pray 
I will pray. There's two columns there. One is uh, for myself. The neat thing is the first column is really easy to fill in. You just put your name in there four times. And I'm going to pray for myself about these things. I'm going to pray for God's keeping of me in my purity, in my walk, in my God keep me. I'm going to pray that God will continue to sanctify me through his word. I'm going to pray every day for two weeks, God sanctify me. I'm going to pray for the person I need unity with. I'm going to pray for me about that. I'm going to pray, God, I have a broken relationship here. It doesn't honor you. And God, you're going to have to do a work in this. Whatever you need to do in me, God, that's what we'll do. Pray for unity. And then pray rejoicing in the fact that the Lord Jesus looks forward to the day you're going to be with him in heaven. That's the easy column to fill in. may not be the easiest column to pray because I'm telling you right now, you start praying that for two weeks. You never stop praying for that until you get to heaven. So it's not a trick. But for the next two weeks, you pray about that and you'll see and you'll keep praying about it. The next column might be a little bit more difficult because it's I'm going to pray for others. And the question is, whose name needs to go in there? Whose name do uh, I have somebody who's close to me that they're wrestling, they're struggling in their walk, they're discouraged, they're frustrated, and I'm going to pray, God, you keep them. You keep them. And Lord, if you open a door for me to speak to them about it, I'm going to, I'm going to walk through the door, but I'm going to pray for them for two weeks. Uh, what about the person who you know in your walk is not where they ought to be? They claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but they need to get called out about it. Well, pray what your part would be in it, but Lord, sanctify them. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth and lead them to the truth of God's word, but praying for their sanctification. Who is it? Maybe it's uh, your son or your daughter or a friend or a coworker or... Who do you know who's not in unity with somebody else? And I'm gonna pray. I'm going to pray, God, you would bring it because the name of Jesus Christ is being hurt. It's being put down. It's being destroyed. And then the last one is, uh, who are you going to pray for for two weeks? That red apple person you know, that person you've shared the gospel with, and it's time to make it a focus of prayer. Lord, bring them to salvation. Lord, would you do that? Would you do that? And, and if you give me the opportunity, Lord, I'm going to step in. I'm not going to run away from it. But Lord, would you bring them to salvation? See, the Lord Jesus Christ, the night before he died, he stopped and he prayed for you. It shouldn't take much more motivation in our lives to why we need to step up in our lives based on who God is and all that he's accomplished for us and pray for others in these areas. You know who the person is. Maybe only one name you're ever going to put in the other column and that's all you can get to right now, but... What's God putting on your heart? And as Christ prays for you and still prays for you, I will pray for others for the fame and the name, and the glory of God the Father through the finished work of Jesus Christ, his son. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this amazing prayer. The reality of what Christ prayed for me and prays for me. His disciples who would struggle as they watched Jesus Christ carted away and hung on a cross and wonder what would happen. Lord, you're still interceding for them. Right before you go to the cross, you're thinking about them. Lord, my life is so filled with thinking about myself sometimes. Give me a heart for those around me like Jesus had. And give me a passion to pray for people like he did. 
And then God, do a work. Do a work in this church that the only way we'll ever be able to explain it is, look what the Lord has done. Powerful prayer, changing me, changing the world. Do this for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.